There is a fungus among us that feeds on oak tree detritus. Its poisons taste delicious, but cause toxic hepatitis. Don't be Caesar to this Brutus. Instead, try eating hummus. Ignore the fungal phallus. There is a fungus among us. I don't feel so good. Welcome to the Poison Cast, a program dedicated to explaining the deadly science behind toxins, venoms, and chemicals. We travel deep inside the human body and investigate just how these fascinating and dangerous molecules kill you. My name is Scott Barnett, and I am a PhD candidate in cellular and molecular pharmacology and physiology at the University of Nevada, Reno School of Medicine. As a student of science, I appreciate concise, unambiguous vernacular. This week's Toxin Du Jour delivers on that front in spades. As you are no doubt aware by this point, the poison to which I am speaking is the aptly named death cap mushroom. And folks, it does exactly what it claims to do. I love that. The death cap mushroom was first discovered by French botanist Sébastien Veillon in 1727 who named it Fungus phalloides. And here's a fun fact for your next party. Phalloides is Latin for phallus-shaped. Yes, that phallus. And if you look at the young fruiting body of a death cap mushroom, you will immediately see why this is. But a mushroom by any other name would be just as deadly. In some circles, the death cap mushroom can be called the destroying angel or the stinking amanita, which... Normally, I would applaud because I like juvenile humor, but most call it the death cap because, well, let's be honest with each other, it just sounds the coolest. Mushrooms are the platypuses of the platypusi? Platypuses. Mushrooms are the platypuses of the plant kingdom. Some people think that they're just a type of bacteria, but those people are very wrong, and you should judge them for that. They are eukaryotic, which means they fall into the plant-animal bucket. Except when they don't. Hence the platypus comment. They can reproduce asexually, like a bacterium, or sexually, like you and me, but more like a plant. Unlike a plant, though, they don't need any light to live because they lack chlorophyll. So if they're like a plant, but they don't use big leafy solar panels to convert CO2 into sugars, then how do they eat? Well, smarty pants, they have roots. Like a plant. But not like a plant. Platypus. They have something called mycelium, which are ultra-fine strings that look like old lady hair that wrap themselves around the roots of tree systems, primarily oak trees, and they suck up amino acids and minerals and sugars from the uh, tree's root system, basically. But the mushroom is not a parasite. It forms a symbiosis with the tree. It helps break down the soil with its own digestive enzymes, and it is estimated that about 85% of all plants depend on a relationship with some type of fungus. So they're very important to the ecosystem. So that's all good news, right? Except that some mushrooms, like our friend the death cap, make toxins that kill people. That sucks. 
The death cap is really widely distributed in Europe and the United States, and they even, even can stretch up to Canada and Mexico. Anywhere you find an oak, you basically have a chance of finding a death cap. In North America alone, there are over 10,000 types of mushrooms. They are absolutely everywhere, and we would be as dead as the dinosaurs if they went away. Of all the mushrooms, though, only 70 to 80 species are considered to be highly toxic. And of those, only about 30 or so of them are actually fatal when ingested. So the chances of you eating a mushroom that's really going to mess you up is actually pretty low. So the death cap is really an anomaly in the world of mushrooms, which makes it all the more important for us to be able to identify what it looks like. Well, like poison ivy and many other nasty plants, it's not that easy. It looks like, and I hope you're sitting down for this, like a normal mushroom. It doesn't have a bright red cap or a weird smell, although some people do say it smells slightly of rose, which is pleasant and probably another reason people want to eat it. Uh, if I was trying to easily identify it, then... I wouldn't be able to, unfortunately. That's probably why so many people eat them. The death cap is white, generally a few inches tall, and looks like something that you'd buy at a farmer's market. It almost looks like a white portabella, if I were to describe it. And what amounts to a bit of a cosmic fu from the mushroom, it also tastes great. People who've accident accidentally ingested the mushroom say that it's the best mushroom they've ever eaten, for reals. Although... I'm not sure if they can be trusted, if I'm being honest. If someone kicked me in the nuts and was like, how was that? Should I try it? I'd be like, absolutely. It was awesome. Let's kick you in the nuts now. So maybe they taste good. Maybe they don't. I don't know. Speaking of pain, let's talk about what you really come here to learn about. How does this toxin kill you? Believe me, it's worth the wait. This is pretty cool. To begin, let's learn how much of the death cap mushroom it takes to kill you. What do you think? One bite, a whole mushroom, one spore lodged in your nostril? Well, it's estimated that it takes about one to two ounces or about half of a mushroom to kill an adult. You can see the problem here, right? Who eats just half a mushroom? You probably eat several in one sitting. The other problem is that people don't get to the doctor immediately because you're not intentionally poisoning yourself and or your friends at some sort of macabre Heaven Gates dinner party. It's generally eaten by accident, unless you're a Roman emperor and somebody has it out for you. If you had to purify this poison, and you did, the LD50, which is a fancy way of saying how much it will probably take to kill you, is estimated at about 0.3 milligrams per kilogram. And to convert that into something useful... It's about as deadly as cobra venom. So, this is some nasty stuff. Okay, so it's poisonous. Let's talk about what happens once you ingest the mushroom. The bad guy in this fungal equation is something called, uh, is the toxin called alpha aminotin, which is a toxin that falls into the amatoxin class. Amatoxins cause irreversible damage to the liver and indirectly slash directly to the kidneys. We'll talk about that in a bit. So let's follow the death cap's journey through your body. When you eat the mushroom, it will go to your stomach, unless you eat it rectally or something, in which case, I don't know what would happen. You should probably stop doing that. Fun fact, by the way, amatoxins can be absorbed through the skin and they can be inhaled. Think mushroom spore. So they can get all over your place. Okay, back to the stomach. Amatoxins are 
beautifully shaped rugged molecules that do just fine in the acidity of the stomach. They're not like proteins like those found in snake venom that will change their shape after cooking or in the high acidity of your stomach and they'll cease to function. Amatoxins have no problem whatsoever with the heat or acidity or being dried or being frozen. They are very stable molecules. Bummer in this case, right? After migrating from your stomach to your intestines, about 60% of the absorbed amatoxin goes right to your liver. You need your liver. This is bad. Your liver is pretty good about breaking down many drugs and toxins, but not the amatoxins. So the liver takes those amatoxins and excretes them into the bile duct where they accumulate in the gallbladder. Your body uses bile to break down fats, so when you eat your next meal, the bile is released into the intestine again and the toxin cycles back up to the liver. This leads to a merry-go-round, or more like an unmerry-go-round, and the toxin keeps circling back to the liver. The rest of the amatoxins filter through the kidneys. Everything in your blood goes to the kidneys, so they are constantly being bathed in these amatoxins. Again, this is bad. Much of the damage to the kidneys, though, is the result of dehydration. The kidneys are trying to move the toxins out of the body, so you dehydrate quickly. That, and you have some pretty explosive diarrhea. If you go to the hospital and your doctor doesn't suspect mushroom poisoning, you will not be given adequate fluids, and this can cause significant damage to the kidneys, and is fairly common. In fact, kidney failure due to, due to dehydration is, like, is, is as likely to kill you as liver failure itself. So based on this, it makes sense that after eating the death cat mushroom, it will take up to 24 hours before you even know anything is really off. It takes a while for your liver and kidney cells to start dying off, right? Eventually, you'll begin to feel abdominal cramps, vomiting, severe dehydration from the diarrhea and your kidneys working overtime. Most people think they have some sort of stomach flu or food poisoning, so they don't seek treatment. But in the end, the real sciencey question remains. What is happening inside your liver and kidneys? What is this toxin actually doing? And this is my favorite part. Amatoxins are potent and selective inhibitors of RNA polymerase 2. Yes, it's time to step off the platform and get on the nerd train. So, RNA polymerase 2. In order for you to live, each and every one of your cells, well, almost all of them, I'm looking at you, a nucleated red blood cells, most of your cells need to convert code that we call DNA into useful products. Most people know this. Your DNA is not unlike a recipe book. Each gene is simply a component of some recipe. In order for your DNA to turn into a hepatocyte or a liver cell if you're a scientific civilian, the DNA needs to first be converted into RNA and then into proteins. What makes a liver cell a liver cell is that it uses very, a very specific recipe, right, uh, i.e. set of genes, from the cookbook, and it ignores the other genes that it doesn't need to be a liver cell. If you, look at, if you took all the recipes from, from your entire genome and you cooked all those into one giant pie, it would be horrible. And, and that's not how the body works to make uh, certain cells. A good liver cell or a neuron cell or a muscle cell uh, knows just what genes it needs to use from that giant cookbook, right? So an active, fully functioning normal liver cell needs a constant stream of new proteins and enzymes from that DNA cookbook. Otherwise, that cell will die. 
RNA polymerase II is an interpreter that takes the DNA information and converts it into a new language called messenger RNA that the machines that actually make the proteins can understand. They read messenger RNA, but they don't read DNA. So if you put a wrench in the gears of DNA polymer or RNA polymerase II, the protein-making machines called ribosomes no longer get any instructions, and the cell freaks out and initiates a self-destruct sequence. That's a true story. That's not hyperbole. The cell goes nuclear and kills itself. And because the liver excretes these toxins into the bile duct, which keep returning those amatoxins to the liver, the liver is inundated with the toxins and the liver gets inflamed called hepatitis and it's not just from drinking and this continues and you need a liver transplant or the liver will fail so this is really bad question though right why doesn't the amatoxin kill the mushroom itself after all the mushroom needs rna polymerase 2 to live it's just like you and me it's the same cell class well, the RNA polymerase of the death cap is insensitive to the effects of its own poison. This is common in organisms that produce toxins. They have a small mutation in whatever protein the toxin is targeting, in this case, RNA polymerase 2, and the toxin won't bind to it. If you've ever seen a mongoose get bitten by a black, a black mamba, then just shake it off and then eat the black mamba, you'll know how meaningful that these very small mutations can be. And if you haven't seen a mongoose bite a black mamba, you need to stop this podcast immediately, pull over to the side of the road, and pull up YouTube. You are welcome. The video will also be in the show notes because it's incredible. So, what options do you have if the amatoxin have gotten into you and they're destroying your liver? Well, unlike many of the other poisons we discussed on this podcast, you actually have real options if you get help early. Before we mention those options, let me just take a moment to emphasize that I am not a medical doctor. I perform basic science research, and you should never, ever take what you hear from this podcast as medical advice. And in general, you probably should avoid most advice from me anyways. So what can we do? Drugs, right? First, there's something called psilobinin, which is not approved by the FDA yet, but it's recruiting for clinical trials right now, and is a drug that is derived from the plant of the milk thistle. Yes, that milk thistle, the invasive weed that is the scourge of the West and probably many other areas as well. If you would like to take a look at what I think is a rather nice picture of milk thistle that I took near my house, you can come to the Poison Cast website and take a look there. So when administered intravenously, the active compound of the milk thistle sits and blocks the receptor that brings amatoxins into the liver cell. It's called the MRP2 receptor. The idea being that if the toxin can't get into the liver cell, then it can't bind and inhibit RNA polymerase 2, which is in the nucleus of the cell. So you're, you're, you're locking the front door to prevent it from doing its damage. Every patient who has still had intact kidney function and was started the drug within 96 hours of eating one of these death cap mushrooms has lived. So this is a very promising uh, therapeutic option that may be coming online soon. Your other option, which really should be done in conjunction with drug treatment, is aggressive and I mean aggressive hydration. You need to give your body every chance to expel the toxins through your urine and through that explosive diarrhea we talked about. Your body cannot break down amatoxins on its own, so this is the only real route of excretion or evacuation of that toxin. It's very important. Your last option, and this is a very unfortunate one, is liver and or kidney transplants. And unfortunately, this is pretty common. 
if you're if the damage is too extensive and this is your last resort, you know it, it's probably not going to work out. I mean, these they're finding the right organ within the short period of time you need it. This is a very very poor option. And that's that. I'm so glad we ended on a high note. Winky face. You know what, guys? We're not going to have a part two of this episode, which we normally do for the ultra nerds, um, because there's a dearth of information on the mechanism of this toxin, and I don't want to give a mini lecture on RNA polymerase two. YouTube can do that just fine for you. But we'll make up for it next time, and we'll have a lot to talk about and talk to where we're going to cover VX gas, the poison that was just used to kill Kim Jong-un's half-brother in a Malaysian airport. WTF, people. That is crazy. So if you're not subscribed yet to the podcast, this would be a great time to do that. Maybe tell a friend, rate us on iTunes, send me an email if you want to have something discussed on the podcast, all of that stuff. Let's do it. And last, but certainly not least by at all, is a shout out to Cat Adams. Cat Adams is, I believe, a molecular biologist um, at Cal Berkeley. And she wrote a Slate article that was very useful and informative when I was putting this together. I don't know, Kat, but you did great work, and I wish you all the best. So check it out in the show notes uh, for uh, for the link to the Slate article, as well as her Twitterverse, at symbol, which is science is metal, and uh, check out what she's got going on. So with that, we will put a pin in it. Thanks, people. See you next time. <laughs>